and welcome to my hearth. Now, as the title of the podcast suggests, this particular episode is about my dad. I'm actually recording this podcast at the end of October, and it suddenly struck me this morning that in January, which is obviously going to be 2024 January, my dad would have been dead for 40 years. And it is interesting that in that time, various things really stand out about him and other things have faded a little bit into distant memory. I am aware that time and the passing of time is a great healer when it comes to grieving about someone, but it also does muck up your mind a little bit in terms of what you do remember about the person. My greatest memory of my father is that he was great fun. He really loved enjoying himself. And the thing that made him enjoy life most was encouraging enjoyment in other people. He would be the kind of person at a party who would get everybody going. He was an amazing and generous host. I was always aware of how often we had people round to dinner at our house. And that was one of his favourite things, was to entertain people. He was lavish with the food and drink and all kinds of entertainment. He was a natural host. He, I think, believed that that was one of the reasons why we were meant to be around was that so we could help people and look after them. It's no secret that a lot of the waifs and strays of the village in which we lived were looked after by my parents. He was also incredibly generous with all of the family, both his side and my mother's side. He lent people money, he helped people buy their houses... He was just a generous man. He was also a natural encourager. And I think that was very important because he allowed my sister and I to do what we wanted to do. In fact, I remember him saying to me when I was quite young that I don't mind what you do as long as you don't try and do what I've done. He earned his money as an insurance investigator, and he was, by all accounts, brilliant at it. In fact, the company very often gave him the tricky cases to handle. He insured Marticia Hunt, who ironically had played Miss Havisham in the very famous David Lean film of Great Expectations, because she was forever having dinner parties and setting lights to her flat with the candles. I believe he was the person who ensured Hattie Jakes, the famous actress from the Carry On films, against losing weight, and that was one of the first cases of its kind. He ensured famous singers of the time against losing their voices if they were having to do important concerts. These were all new things, and he was highly regarded in the way that he dealt with them. 
because he was the soul of discretion, I don't know all the cases that he dealt with, because he was quite stum about what he did, but he did tell me about one of the big mistakes that he made. I know in the big world of eccentricities, my family looms large, and one of my father's aunts was a very extraordinary character. This particular great-aunt of mine owned a stall in Covent Garden Market, which was where various foodstuffs were sold, and she had the monopoly between the Great War and the Second World War on both peanuts and bananas. That meant that every peanut and every banana in this country had to go through her store in Covent Garden, and she made an absolute fortune. I never met her, but apparently she was the same width as her height, and she was a typical East End lady who talked a little bit like that. Like one of the original characters in East Enders. Her great failing was that she hated paying taxes, and if any representative of the Inland Revenue ever came round to check her books, she would literally beat them up and send them away. In the end, the Inland Revenue gave her up as a bad job and decided that they would retrieve what was owed to them after she died. My father being her nephew, was made the executor of her will, and when she died, she had left him everything. However, the day after she died, the Inland Revenue arrived at my father's door with a bill for £147,000 which in the middle of the 1940s was a huge sum, the equivalent of millions of pounds now. And so to pay it, my dad, who was scrupulous about all things to do with money, had to sell the business so that he could liquidate the assets and pay the bill. This great-aunt was both notorious and famous, and when she died there was a headline in the paper, Banana Queen Dies which, of course, my father found hilarious. This aunt was also very fond of gambling on the horses. In fact, she built a house very close to the finishing line at the Epsom Racecourse, which is called the White House. That also was sold to pay for the debts. Now, in a lot of people's minds, including his employers, my father then had a connection to bananas. I know it sounds really odd, but that's the way the world works. So after the war and after the incident of his aunt's demise, there was a case of a warehouse somewhere in East London where bananas were going to be stored. Now, you have to remember that bananas were an unusual product at this particular time, but they were very often prescribed on the national health as a source of potassium for people, and therefore were more valuable than just an ordinary fruit. 
My father was called in to arrange the insurance on this particular banana warehouse and he thought that it looked very secure and so he insured it. However, the thieves were so desperate to get to the booty of the bananas, the banana booty, that they actually loaded a lorry with cement and literally drove it or reversed it through the wall of the warehouse to get to the bananas. Again, this is one of the first times that thieves had done this with the building, possibly because lorries were not so available earlier on, and he always quoted it as one of his greatest errors, because there wasn't a precedent to suggest that a warehouse would be vulnerable to an attack by lorry. He would often tell the story of it and say that the case had created a precedent for the way that people viewed warehouses in the future. You can see that he was an interesting man and a man of great fun. I think from both my parents I have inherited the gift of hospitality, but I've especially inherited from my father the gift of naughtiness. He liked to do things that would make people laugh. He had very twinkly eyes and a great giggle. I suppose I should really start with his childhood, but in fact I know very little about it. I said in a previous podcast that it is a shame about that particular generation that they had been brought up to be incredibly secretive. They really didn't tell you very much about their past. I know the overarching title of my podcast is Crispin's Creative Storytelling, but I sometimes wonder if some of the things I was told were true. However, here are a couple of things which I know to be true, which might give you a little bit of an insight into my father's behaviour. Firstly, he was a very intelligent man and did very well at school, and he had wanted to go into the Navy. He secretly filled in the application forms for the Royal Naval College at Dartmouth, and he passed with flying colours. However, his parents would not allow him to go. I never got a complete answer as to why they denied him that possibility in his life. One of the things I think was very prevalent for people at that time was my dad had been born in 1911 and obviously had lived through the Great War, but the Great War had been really traumatic for people and perhaps they just did not want him to go into the forces. They were well off, so they would easily have been able to afford any expenses that might have been incurred by him going into the Royal Naval College, but for whatever reason, they didn't let him go. And I think that that's one of the roots of why he always wanted both my sister and I to do whatever we wanted to do. 
Another instance is that he did have a younger sister, my Auntie Olga, and she was going to go to the same school that my dad was at. And she insisted that she didn't want anybody to know that she was my dad's sister because he'd been, shall we say, a little bit naughty at school and she didn't want to have to deal with his reputation. He was obviously a very good friend to have at school and one of the people he was at school with remained friends with him for his entire life. So he can't have been that bad as a friend at school. Ironically, of course, if his parents had had a concern about him going into the armed forces, of course, when the Second World War came along, he was a perfect age to be called up. In fact, he was called up in 1938. And because he was a professional person, he was sent to Sandhurst to study for being an officer. He did very well at Sandhurst, and my mum always blamed Sandhurst on the fact that my father did tend to speak occasionally a little over-poshly, considering he was born in Clapton Pond. My mum, being a good northerner, would often pull him up if he used his vowels in an inappropriate manner. If ever he spoke about being in Damascus in the war, my mum would say, ooh, Damascus, with her pure Geordie vowels. Now we'll talk about what happened to him in the Second World War in the next episode.